0: Thank you worship team, you can go ahead and be seated here at Thornton. I want to welcome all of you joining us online, Facebook, YouTube, uh, podcast, Crossroads Live, wherever you may be as well as our Fort Lupton uh, campus. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Manning, I'm the senior pastor uh, here at Crossroads Church and today uh, we are starting our fourth season of Luke. So I know that many of you uh, are excited and have been waiting for us to get back into the book of Luke. One of our core values, Uh, here at Crossroads Church is that we are all about Jesus. And so all the way back in 2019, we decided that if we're really all about Jesus, then it would be totally rad to take a deep dive into one of the books, the Gospels, uh, biography of Jesus in the church. We call those Gospels. And so in deciding to do that, we decided to go through the Gospel of Luke and take it like we would a TV show. It's a huge book over 24 chapters that we would just take it in in a succession of seasons. Now, When it comes to this series in Luke, the whole premise of this series is when it comes to Jesus, many of us, particularly if we've grown up in the church or you've been a part of the church, know stories about Jesus, But most of us would probably be hard-pressed to give the story of Jesus. That is to say that when we gather together, for many of us, we could probably share a little bit, whether you've been in church or not, you could share a little bit of, of the story of Jesus when it comes to his birth or maybe some of the popular stories or some of the details around his death. But if I pressed in on you and I asked you questions like this, what made Jesus so special? How would you answer that? Or if I looked at you and said, why was it that thousands of people would come from upwards of hundreds of miles just to hear them speak, just to touch him? Like, why was it that the the religious leaders of his day wanted him dead? What does it truly mean to follow Jesus? I think that last question especially is an important one, because that's why we're all here, isn't it? Whether you're a believer or not, the reason that you showed up today is not to hear me say some words to you, but rather because there's something deep inside you that wants to know more about Jesus, that you want to see him for who he is and who he was and, and what he was all about so that you can decide for yourself if he really is God or not, if he really does care for you, if he's really worth following the way that he asks you to follow him. And for us, we just simply believe that there's no better way to do that than to dive in deep into his life to see who he was and is and what he is ultimately all about. Now, if you've missed the previous three seasons, no worries. What we've done on our YouTube channels, we've pinned them to the homepage, and so you can go and binge your heart out there. But just to make sure that we're all on the same page today, when it comes to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke is really this. The Gospel of Luke is what happens When a pretty wealthy and skeptical benefactor named Theophilus hires a medical doctor and a historian named Luke to investigate the claims of a man named Jesus who actually claims to be God. That's what the gospel of Luke is all about. And as this gospel unfolds, not only do we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan in this world, but the way that that Luke does it is that he actually takes us from eyewitness accounts to show us that Jesus is the messianic king, the one who is meant to bring God's blessing and God's reign into this world. Now, when it comes to the book, the design of this book is pretty simple. In chapters one and two, we have this lengthy introduction of Jesus's birth, and in that birth, the importance and the excitement around it. Then we get into chapters three through about the middle of nine, and we see Jesus so clearly, his mission and why he came, the purpose of why he came into this world. And then through about halfway through nine, through all the way through 19, we have this huge long section where Jesus is going towards Jerusalem and in this journey towards Jer- to Jerusalem is the greatest collections of teachings that we have anywhere in scripture when it comes to Jesus. And then the book ends in 20 through the end of the book with the climactic events of the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. Now in season four, This series, we are going to focus on this middle section, chapters 9 through about 19, and specifically the teachings of Jesus. And so the plan is over the next eight weeks through May, June, and part of July, we are going to spend each week taking a look at one of the profound teachings of Jesus' ministry as he makes his way to Jerusalem. So, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I would invite you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter nine. We're going to start in verse fifty-one, and just so you know, Luke chapter nine serves as one of the major hint points, or the major hint in Jesus's life and in his story. That everything is flowing up unto this point. That we've seen so clearly through these earlier chapters the mission of Jesus, which was to come into this world and to find people who were far away from him, people whose society had literally discarded, who were deemed not good enough, the poor, the blind, the captives, the oppressed, and bring them into relationships so that they could see the goodness and the love that God had for each and every one of them. All of that mission leads up to this pinnacle moment in Luke chapter nine that we call the Transfiguration. And in the Transfiguration, just for a moment, God pulls back the curtains on eternity. And for a moment, we get this glimpse of Jesus in all of his glory, all of his deity, in all of his godness. And in this moment, as Jesus is just showing his glory to the world, the the, uh, hounds of hell are literally released. And in this beautiful moment, Jesus knows, he knows, that as he comes down the mountain, that dark days are ahead for him. That as he comes down the mountain, suffering awaits the march begins to the cross. It's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 51, where Luke says these words, when the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The reality is, is that we all have that day. That day is the day when we stake our claim in this world, where we determine our future that this is who I am, this is what I'm gonna do, and this is where I'm gonna go in my life. It's on that day that we become resolute and committed, undeterred to accomplish whatever is set before us. Luke 9:51 is that day for Jesus. That when Luke writes to us when the day drew near for him to be taken up, what he's talking about is Jesus' ascension to heaven. When Jesus returns to heaven and takes his place back on the throne from which he came as God. As that day drew near for him, it's in that moment he decided to set his face toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now this is so important for us to understand that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, that he is committed to going to Jerusalem, and the reason that he's committed to go to Jerusalem is because that's where he's going to be crucified. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus is not the victim, that Jesus didn't get crucified by accident, that Jesus set his face on Jerusalem and was committed to go there for the sake of the cross. That Jesus, with a resolute gaze, sets his eyes ultimately toward the cross where he would go and pay for the sins of the world by dying in our place as our God and our Savior. That if this were a movie, this would be the climactic point where the hero knows that for him to take on the villain, to get rid of the villain, he must take his place in battle and conflict. And even to do what he knows he has to do, lay it all on the line and risk his life. If you're a Marvel Avengers fan, this is Endgame. This is Avengers Endgame. It's where Tony Stark, knowing that with Thanos bearing down on humanity, that he has to make the ultimate selfless decision and lay down his life in order to save humanity. If I just ruined Endgame for you, I'm sorry it came out in 2019 and you had all of COVID to watch it, all right? so. But here's what's going on, right? All great stories come from the great story. And be sure this great story of Jesus is not some fantasy superhero movie, but the real life God who loves you so, so much. Luke 9:51 serves as the hinge of Jesus's life. From here, Jesus will march literally toward Jerusalem, towards the cross, towards his conflict with Satan where he will battle with his great foe and our great enemy. The reality is, is that we won't even see Jesus enter into Jerusalem until season five. But we get the opportunity, like the disciples, to sit at Jesus' feet as he makes this journey to Jerusalem. And as we sit at his feet, we get to learn from him what it means to live life, what it looks like to truly live in this world. Welcome to season four of Luke, where we get to explore the teachings of Jesus. Jesus. And up first for us is lesson number one, which is what does it truly mean to follow Jesus? And today as we walk through this, Jesus is going to answer that question for us by introducing us to four people. And in each case, we'll get a glimpse, a snapshot of what it truly means to follow Jesus. We begin in chapter 9, starting in verse 52. It says this, Luke writes this, and he, that being Jesus, sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because here it is again, his face was set toward Jerusalem. So let me explain a little bit of what's going on here. Geographically, Samaria is right in the middle of Israel. In Bible times, the north part of Israel was called Galilee. The south part of Israel was called Judah. That's where Jerusalem was, that's where the temple was located, and right in the middle was this place called Samaria. Now, when it came to Samaria, the people there are called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were like Jews, kind of. They were half-bloods, and they were treated as such. They were treated as second-class citizens in the nation of Israel. If you've ever seen Harry Potter, you kind of understand and get this. The Samaritans were children of Jews who had intermarried intermarried with pagans, and they were those children. And over the years, they began to develop their own society. Now, this intermingling between the Jews and the pagans and having kids was a major no-no in the Old Testament. But as these children were born, generation after generation, they created this society. And in this society, they created their own temple, their own worship, their own way of living, their own religion, their own theology. In fact, they even developed their own Bible that they only held to the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Bible that we call the Torah. They just kind of set up this like pseudo-Judaism. And honestly, the Jews didn't really know what to do with them. And so they went at all costs just to simply avoid them. So throughout the years, what happened is that the Jews would do everything to avoid the Samaritans. And so if you were traveling from Galilee in the north to Judah in the south, like Jesus is is on his way to Jerusalem, what you would do is not go through Samaria, but you would go around Samaria. Now, this wouldn't be like in our day if if we were heading to the springs from where we're at in Thornton or Fort Lupton. If we said, hey, we're going to head to the springs and we'll just jump on 470 and go around Denver and then go to the springs. Don't think of it like that. Think of it, if we were heading to the springs, the drastic measure that we would take to avoid Denver is that we would swing all the way to the western slope, go down the western slope, and then cut back across to the springs. That's how drastic measures they went to avoid going through Samaria. Now, by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, there was major hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews, and it became pretty intense. Sometimes they would try to desecrate each other's temples. There was all kinds of infighting, like, your worship is bad. No, your worship is bad. We have the right temple. No, we have the right temple. And it was all like this total mess, just complete and absolute chaos, So Jesus, we're told by Luke, has made this determination that he's resolute to make his way to Jerusalem, that he's on this journey to Jerusalem. Instead of doing what every good Jew does, which is walk all the way around Samaria, he decides he's going to go through the middle of it. And so he goes right through the heart of Samaria. And him and his boys, they roll up into this village. And as they arrive in the village, the Samaritans meet them here. And he looks at them and says, you know what, Jesus? (laughs) Uh, We don't actually want you here. Because if you're determined to go to Jerusalem, that means you're not really going to validate who we are or what we're doing. See, the Samaritans were not just like a sub-segment of Jewish culture. They had set up their own society. They were their own people group. They were their own religious group. They were their own racial group. They were their own political group. They were their their own uh, 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 social group. In every way, they were a tribe. They were like people today who have all of their life and all of their identity wrapped up in some tribe or people group. And basically, what they were saying to Jesus was this. Is Jesus, if you want us to follow you, then you have to join us in what we're doing. You need to validate who we are and and what we're doing. And if you go to Jerusalem, That will show the world that Jerusalem, not Samaria, is the beginning and the center of your redemptive work. And so Jesus, since you're going there, you don't have a place here. And they reject him. That the people group, the Samaritans, the tribe, for them in their minds, it was more important to follow the tribe than it was Jesus. Now let me put this in the context of today for us. I mean, let's just assume that Jesus is here and he's in North Denver, Colorado traveling through. And if he was traveling through, what if, just for a moment, and I know this might be some unimaginable for some of you, but what for a moment if Jesus doesn't actually support your political stance or your cause? I mean, what if Jesus doesn't support your national interests or your cultural biases or your sexual orientation? What if he says as he's passing through, no, 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 that's not what I'm all about. In fact, you actually have to lay all of that down and follow me. Let me teach you what it looks like to truly live. The question is, is would you? For the Samaritans, when, can, when that question was brought to them, they said, no, Jesus, we can't follow you, and they reject him. Now, what's interesting in this story is the way that the disciples, Jesus' disciples, react. Listen to what they say, verse 54, and when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like, John and James, man, they had a lot of confidence in their abilities, right? Right? <laughs> And they're like, Jesus, like if they're not going to turn, let them burn. And they're falling over themselves to light the match, right, to get it going. Like they're ready to condemn, but Jesus is patient in this moment. Because remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And the reason he's going to Jerusalem is not just to die for those in Israel, but he's there also to die for those who are in Samaria. And he was also there to die for you, and he was also there to die for me. And so Jesus turns to the boys and he rebukes them. And he looks at them and he says, look, this is not the day that they're going to burn. That there's place for grace and opportunity for salvation. Today is not their day. So after that rebuking, they get back on the road, they leave the village, they head down the street, and as they are leaving Samaria, he encounters three more people. And in each case, Jesus calls them to follow him. And the question is, is will they? Will they follow him? Now, so you all are aware, these next few verses that we look at are some of the toughest verses in all of the scripture. They are some of the most hardest words that we encounter as church people. And as we read them, there's a tendency for us to want to dive in and go, oh, I see what Jesus is doing. He's setting up laws for his followers to abide by. Like, thou shalt not bury dad. That's not what's going on here all right? Jesus isn't setting up more laws for followers to follow. What he's doing is that Jesus perfectly knows what's competing in your heart for him. And he looks at every one of us in the eyes and he stares to the core of who we are and says, what are you holding on to? What are you holding so tightly onto?" And he looks at us and he says, are you willing to let that go in order to follow me? Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. When it comes to following Jesus, there is a radical cost to following him. It is the good life, but it is not the easy life. Jesus is walking down the road, and this guy comes up to him and says, Jesus, man, like, I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus goes, I'll take you, man. But you just got to know that tonight we don't know where we're going to sleep. Tonight we don't even know what we're going to eat. That you're welcome to come along this journey and to follow you, but I just need to let you know that the journey ahead may be a rough road. It's not going to be a life of kittens and rainbows. But if you're willing to let go of your comfort, then you can follow me. See for some of you, you live under this myth that once you begin your walk with Jesus that life just becomes awesome. That life just becomes amazing everywhere. And that it's just a life of ease. I just want you to know today saying yes to following Jesus means that you are following a broke homeless dude who was betrayed by one of his best friends and ultimately murdered that he gave up the very comforts of heaven in order to suffer for you. And he turns that around on us some 2,000 years later and goes, are you willing to give up your comfort in order to follow me? In other words, what's your line? And sadly, for those most of us in the Western church, that is a line that we're not willing to cross. Are you willing to give up your comfort in order to follow me? Jesus continues down the road, verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But the guy said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, admittedly, these words of Jesus are some of the most difficult and probably some of the most misunderstood in all of scripture, because it just flat looks like Jesus is being a jerk, doesn't it? I mean, this guy comes up to Jesus, man, I love you. I'm going to follow you. And Jesus goes, all right, man, come and follow me. And he goes, wait, just, I just got to go bury dad. And Jesus is like, nope, can't do that. Let the dead bury their dead. You just come on with me, son. Right? Like, like if I was in that moment, I would be like, wait, like hold the phone. Like, Jesus, I've read the Bible, and I'm pretty sure honor mom and dad is, like, in the top ten, right? Like, if there's a top ten list, that one's there. It's in the Ten Commandments. Like, what in the world is going on here? So let me help make sense of this for you. In Jesus' time, it was pretty much expected of children, whether youth or adults, to honor mom and dad. Again, it was part of the Ten Commandments. And so part of that expectation is that as your parents grew older, that you would take care of them in this culture. It was totally different than our culture today. In our culture, we have great medical facilities and assisted living homes and communal living places that the elderly can go and live out good years of their life. In this time, there was none of that. And in this culture, oftentimes what would happen is that if your children got married, your sons got married, what you would do is you would just add on to the house. There was no like building of new houses. If my son got married, I would just add a room onto the house and him and his family would live in that space. And then when I got older, they would be expected to take care of me. Now, also in that culture, when a parent was near death, it was expected that you would be there for them. And in that culture, when someone died... Like the expectation is that the children would go through a very specific routine in terms of the funeral and the burial. That even to this day, right now, in 2021, Jewish funerals are a big, big deal. They are a big, big event. They would take days to plan and a week to pull off. Now, here's my question to you. With this guy, if his dad was dying, where would he be? He would be in the same place you would be. He would be next to his dad. And if his dad had already died, where would he be? He would be in the celebration. He would be in the mourning. He would be overseeing all of the stuff that goes with the funeral and the burial. Here's what I think's going on here, is that this guy's dad is nowhere near death. And what he's telling Jesus is he's going, Jesus, I totally want to follow you. But Jesus, my parents, like you got to hear this. They're, they're really devout Jews. And so I just, I just can't right now. But down the line in the future, Jesus, I'm there with you, man. Remember this face. Remember this face. See, my wife and I, we have some friends like this. We can tell that they have an interest in Jesus They have questions about Jesus, but their parents are devout Muslims, and they're not going to rock that boat, and so they're just waiting. They're just waiting, and the reality is, is that all of us, all of us have priorities in our lives, don't we? We have first priorities in our lives, and and all of us wrestle with this all the time. For some of you at school... And you would say, Jesus, look, man, I wanna follow you, but, but I just gotta bear down, I just gotta get school done, and once I get school done, remember this face, I'll be back. For others of you, it's the career, and you would look at Jesus, and you would say, Jesus, I know, like I, I got a lot of time, I'm just spending a ton of time, I don't have a lot of time for you right now, I'm focusing on my career, and once that gets settled, once I'm on the road, Jesus, I'll be back, remember this face. For some of you, it's marriage, for others of you, it's kids, for others, it's recua- recreation. Jesus, re- remember this face, I'll be back for you. I just need you to know that Jesus, I want to follow you, but there's just some stuff that I got going on right now that I need to take care of first. And the hard words is Jesus says that's an issue. Jesus doesn't do very well with being number two in your life. He says it's number one or not at all. Verse 61, Jesus continues down the road and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't plow a straight line by looking back behind you. You can't do it. You can't serve Jesus, that is, you can't bring glory to God by making Jesus look great if you're always second-guessing the value of following him in your life. In this moment, looking back means longing back. It means that you're not really sure if actually following Jesus is worth it, especially to Jerusalem. And divided hearts are never committed hearts. See what Jesus is teaching in these four instances is that there is a radical cost to following him. That at times, you're going to have to give up whatever identity you think you have in this world. That it might cost you all of your comfort. That it might, thinking some things that are really important in your life aren't quite as important as Jesus. It means going down this path and not looking back, wondering if what you're doing is worth it. And the crazy thing about this teaching with Jesus, if you noticed, is that we're never told how any of these stories ends. I mean, we never find out if the Samaritans later on turn. We never know. We never know if the guy was willing to give up his comfort. We never know if the other guy was willing to to make Jesus his first priority. We never know if the, the last guy saw it worth it to follow Jesus. We never know. And the reason that we never know is because we're the story. And Jesus is looking at us, and he goes, how does your story end? I've called you to follow me. How does your story end? Are you willing to follow me? Be sure there is a radical cost. It's not the easiest, but it is the good life. Would you follow me and learn what it looks like to live? See, the reality is that we all have that day, don't we? where we see something so special that it changes us forever. That day where we determine whether we are or are not going to follow Jesus. And maybe today is that day for you. And my invitation to you is if you are considering Jesus, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with him, you can simply text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. In a few moments, we're going to go to the table of communion and we're gonna remember the sacrifice that Jesus made in order for us to follow him. But before we do, will you pray with me? Father, we come into this space and Lord, whether we've been believers for a long time or we're just trying out church for the first time, Lord, this is at the heart. You're calling on our lives to follow you. Lord, it's amazing to me as you set your eyes towards Jerusalem, as you make your march to the cross, you begin to give us your greatest teachings, the ones that mean the most to you, as in a very real way, you giving us our last instructions. And of all the things that you could say, the very first thing, the very first thing you ask us to evaluate is our willingness to follow you, perhaps because it's everything. And so Lord, today, I just wanna give a few moments Lord, for every single person here online at Fort Lupton, or just to contemplate where they're at in the story and whether or not they've actually considered the radical cost in following you. Father, as we contemplate that reality And Lord, as we head to your table to celebrate communion, Lord, our radical commitment to you pales in comparison to your commitment and love to us. Lord, may we remember you well on this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was in those final moments of Jesus' life where he demonstrated his ultimate love for you and for I, where he breaks the bread And he says, this is my body broken for you. That this is the picture of the gospel. This is the picture of, of Jesus's radical love. And then he takes the cup with the juice and says, this is my blood poured out for you. That I'm trading my life for yours. Will you follow me? And so today we participate. And as we eat the bread, and as we drink the cup, the answer is yes, God, wherever you lead, whatever you do, yes, I'll follow you. And so not only today do we remember communion, but we partake as a level of commitment to our God of what he asked for us in our lives. So we eat together and we drink. If you need prayer today, if God's speaking to you right now or any time over the next 20 minutes or so, I would just encourage you to make your way to the back online. You can push the button. This says prayer. We have people willing and able to pray for you. It's something that we love to do. So you can make your way back there at any point that you want to. Otherwise, wherever you're at, I'm just going to invite you to stand as we sing in worship of our good and great God.